allow your spirit to move in our heart and give us understanding. Be glorified in this place as we seek to honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you guys have your Bibles with you, I want to invite you to open up Jeremiah. Tonight we'll be continuing our ongoing uh, journey through the weeping prophet. As we go through Jeremiah, and as we look, you know, the way the, the book of Jeremiah is laid out, it's just a series of things that God did in his life. It's not necessarily laid out in chronological order. But he, he's guiding us and showing us the heart of the prophet. The heart of a prophet who brought his message to God, or from God, to the people, and nobody ever listened. Yet he remained faithful. And then as he continued to walk in obedience to what God called him to do, things get harder on him. Tonight, in chapter 37, it's a story of the patriot story of the patriot and, and the story of the, the traitor. And which one is which is not always so easy to tell. But as we look in chapter 37, that's what we see. That's what's going on in, in the life of Jeremiah, and that's what's going on with King Zedekiah. Let's look, chapter 37, verse 1. Now King Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, reigned instead of Coniah, the son of Jehoiakim, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, made king in the land of Judah. Okay, Nebuchadnezzar's already conquered Judah twice. They're going to do it one more time. The next time they do it, there's not going to be anything left. All the while, Jeremiah's message to the people was, this is God's judgment in your life. Accept it. Lay down your sword and live. He said, lay down your sword. He said, start families. Plant vineyards. Work. You're going to be taken from Jerusalem to Babylon, but you're going to be there a while. You're going to be there for 70 years. While you're there for 70 years, live your life. It's like the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet said, I have put before you today two paths. Life and death. If you pick up your sword and you fight against what I'm trying to do in your life, you will die miserably if you just allow the judgment to come you will live and it'll be good so king zedekiah gets set up by nebuchadnezzar nebuchadnezzar makes him king he's already removed one king made made zedekiah the king because zedekiah promised to do whatever nebuchadnezzar told him but zedekiah begins to listen to his counselors 
and the other politicians around him, and they begin to say, you know, what we really ought to do is start up a rebellion, and I think we can whoop these guys and get them out of here. So they called Egypt. And Egypt said, yeah, we don't really much care for uh, Babylon either, so we'll join you. And they began to trust in their own plans and provisions to overcome the struggles that they had in their life. But they didn't listen to what God had told them. You remember Jeremiah gave them the scroll. They opted to burn it. They don't want to hear what God has to say. They just want to do their own thing and follow their own plan. So in essence, they are making their choice. There's three things that we're going to see that, that kind of mark the patriot and the traitor. On the first thing is, for the traitor, they will not listen. I won't listen. You know, during the Revolutionary War, there was a man who was one of George Washington's right-hand guys. He had been proclaimed a hero a number of times, been wounded in battle, led men in battle. He accomplished all kind of great things. George Washington really leaned into him. But there came a time for him to get a promotion to major general, and he got passed over. And now we name our eggs after him. Well, not really after him. Benedict Arnold. Benedict Arnold was once a hero for the nation, but bitterness crept in and he sold them out. And has since gone down in history as, well, one of the greatest traitors ever known. Well, we look here, what the scripture lays out for us in verse 2, guys, is this idea that there's a deafness. There's a deafness in the, in the head of the traitor that they cannot hear what God's laying out. Look, but neither he nor his servants nor the people of the land gave heed to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by the prophet Jeremiah. Nobody listened. You ever get frustrated when people don't listen? You ever try to instruct your kids or teach somebody? I'm a lousy teacher. Occasionally someone will come to me and they'll say, Hey, Jackie, would, would you teach me how to play guitar? Yes, you don't want me to teach you. I'm not a good teacher. I'm good for the first two minutes. And then after that, I'm like, what, what do you put your fingers there for? I said, put your fingers here. <laughs> My kids all wanted to, to learn how to play instruments. I all hooked them up with other people. So I, I don't want to frustrate them. You know it's sometimes it's difficult to get a message across even more so can you imagine getting a message across to people who won't listen who won't you ever try to teach somebody who already knows how to do it frustrating yeah yeah here jeremiah is laying out the word and telling them here's, here's god here's what god's doing man it's so vital that they get it don't you see if, if they listened to jeremiah they lived their children lived Moms would never have cooked up their, their kids after they died so that they'd have something to eat. They never would have gone through the horrible siege that they went through. They never would have suffered like they suffered if they had just listened. And it's not hard obedience. It's a hard thing because we, we as humans value freedom above everything else, don't we? 
Freedom's the most important thing. I gotta be free. And the downside to freedom is you get to do dumb stuff. Right? You get to choose to do dumb things. The problem with the people, first problem, they would not listen. Isn't that the way it is in our nation today? I mean, people really have turned a deaf ear to the word. I heard a a news uh, broadcaster saying that uh, religion has been coming up way too much in politics of late. And it really shouldn't have that place. Why shouldn't it? Why shouldn't the politics of the nation reflect the nation itself? I mean, shouldn't it do that? Nobody goes over to Iran or to the Ayatollah or to the crazy guy, Aminijab, over there and says, why do you act like this? You know, really, your religion should have no place in politics. They tell them that? No. Because it's logical. But our nation is is very quickly, rapidly moving to a place, what they call post-Christian society. Which is a natural course, and Jesus told us it was going to happen. We know that those things were going to occur. As we look at this, as we look at this downward spiral, what's the key to the first key? They will not listen to the word. First they took a word. First a humanist manifesto come out in 1933 and declared, there is no God, we must save ourselves. The humanist manifesto has been adopted by more liberal organizations than any other document in the history of the United States. So all of the things and all their plans come from that place. There is no God. We must save ourselves. We've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to have all these reform. We've got to do all these things. The reality is, if God's people would humble themselves in the sight of the Lord, what's he promised to do? He promises to lift them up, right? But if they will not, then neither will he. He won't. So there, we find ourselves in a nation, very similar place, a, a deafness to God's word. And listen, a deafness to God's word leads to a not understanding God's will. So many people today say things like, I don't, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. What's in here? It's not that hard to know. It's not some secret that God doesn't want you to be able to find out. It's right here. But a deafness to his word will lead to an ignorance of his will. Now you don't know his will. You don't know what God wants you to do. And that's exactly where the nation of Israel finds himself. They're deaf to the word, deaf to his prophet, deaf to... They're not even spending... What's the king supposed to do? The king, every year, is supposed to write out a copy of the scripture. Why would he do that? Because it'll keep his nose in the Word of God. It'll tell him those things that he can learn to realize this is the, the wise way to walk. This is the direction I want to be moving in. But they, over and over again, it's not, this guy's not the first king who didn't do it. Over and over and over again, kings would neglect. Kings would turn their back to that job. Now here it begins with a, 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 uh, a neglect of the desire to listen. Verse 3, it says, And Zedekiah the king sent Jehuchal, the son of Shelemiah, and Zephaniah, the son of Maasiah, the priest, to the prophet Jeremiah, saying, Pray now to the Lord our God for us. Second thing, I won't pray. 
he goes and sends a guy to Jeremiah to pray because he's religious. Let's get the religious people to pray, but I'm not going to. He doesn't want to seek the Lord. He wants Jeremiah, the guy he hasn't been listening to all this time. He wants Jeremiah to seek the Lord. He wants to understand or know or, or grasp what it is that God wants to do in his life, but he has no personal relationship. I mean, if you've got a personal relationship with the Lord, you don't go to somebody else to pray. You may ask someone to pray with you or to pray for you, to watch over you, but if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, can't you enter boldly into his throne room? Can't you just go right to him in prayer? Didn't David, even in the Old Testament, go right to the Lord in prayer? To call upon his name in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as Paul would write to us in Ephesians? That was his attitude. That He had a personal relationship. Zedekiah doesn't have a relationship. I, now, I know guys like this. When I worked at the city of Palm Springs, I come into the city of Palm Springs, and, and I had been working for a contractor doing uh, highways, painting streets and what have you and as i come into the to the city of palm springs i was kind of a different mindset a contractor's mindset and a city employee are two different people the i don't mean anything bad don't tell kelly i don't mean anything bad but there was just a different mindset you at the city you were constantly just steady eddie just keep moving doing the work a contractor hit it get it get out there's another one coming so I come in kind of with that crazy attitude, and I did all this work the first day. I almost killed my crew that was working with me. And they says, man, brother, you have to learn how to work for the city or you're going to kill us all. So, so I slowed down a little bit, and we start talking. And every time we'd come to lunch, i read my Bible at lunch. So I'd open up my Bible, and I'd sit there and read my Bible. And I noticed I was sitting at a table alone. And everybody was kind of hanging out. Well, they were... You know, talking about stuff they didn't feel right talking to me about or or showing pictures to each other that they didn't want to show me, telling stories they don't want me to know. But whenever something would happen, I'd be sitting there at lunch and I'd look up and there'd be a fellow sitting at the table with me. And he'd be asking, hey, will you pray for me and my wife? We're struggling. Or my mother-in-law is sick or whatever. Because they have no personal relationship with the Lord, they would bring those things to me. Now, of course, I'm, I'm going to pray with them. And on top of that, I'm going to try to share with them so that they, that they can have a relationship. They don't have to come to me to pray. They can pray too. But their prayer needs to be predicated on a, a life of repentance and surrender to God. And so, anyways, they, it's the same thing going on here. The king of Israel, he's like, oh, you know, pray for me. Jeremiah, we, we want you to seek the Lord, but there's no personal relationship. He does not pray. And it's a sign of spiritual weakness. The inability to call upon one who sticks closer than a brother, that, that should be easy, right? But it was something that he struggled with. It was a sign of spiritual weakness in the life of Zedekiah. Now, verse 4 says, Now Jeremiah was coming. And going among the people, for they had not yet put him in prison. Oh, yeah. Do you know sometimes when you serve the Lord, you end up in prison? People don't always appreciate it. People don't always like it. Right now, currently, in the United States, you still have that freedom. I think before we're gone, we'll see that gone. 
It's not all that far. We're not all that far behind Europe where it is against the law to preach out of certain sections in the Scripture because it's considered uh, hate, not being accepting. The days will come. But Jesus said those days would come. Jesus said the days would come when they would heap up for themselves teachers because they have itching ears. They only want to hear certain things. They don't want to hear the whole counsel of God. They're happy to go to, I don't know why, but they're happy to go to the Sermon on the Mount, which is probably one of the more convicting areas of Scripture, but they don't really understand that as they go through it. They're happy to go to the Sermon on the Mount, but they don't want to go into those other things. Stay away from Leviticus. Stay away from the Old Testament and stay away from these things. Our our president, when he was running for office the first time, he said, I'll never forget it, he said, it's utterly ridiculous for someone to to imagine that the Bible could be a foundation to government. He said, which part am I supposed to to listen to? The part where he says, love your neighbor as yourself, or if your child disobeys you, stone him. Well, that's kind of a ridiculous contrast to draw, isn't it? Maybe you ought to have an understanding, but with no personal relationship, does it make sense? It doesn't make sense. They don't grasp, they don't take the time to know or to realize or to understand. And it's the same way with Zedekiah. So we shouldn't be shocked. We shouldn't be shocked when a nation turns this direction. The question is, which is the patriot and which is the traitor? Jeremiah is not in prison yet. That's a dead clue that something is coming, right? Prison. I I have opportunity to do jail ministry Probably three months out of the year on Tuesdays. I hope to always be doing jail ministry just because I can go and do it. I hope not to ever be in jail doing jail ministry, but it could happen. And which of the which of the guys in this book didn't spend time in prison for the message they gave? John was thrown in boiling oil and didn't die. I can't imagine what that was like. And then sent to Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. Paul spent most of his ministry in jail, one jail or another jail, set free for a relatively short period of time until uh, Caesar Nero took his head. We go through the life of the twelve disciples. Thomas was speared to death in India. You start following their stories and what happened to them, and you realize Jesus said, A servant is not greater than his master. If they hated me, Sooner or later, they'll hate you too. And the same we see happening here. Well, Scripture says, Pharaoh's army came up from Egypt, and when the Chaldeans who were besieging Jerusalem heard news of them, they departed from Jerusalem. So here, I want you to get the picture. Zedekiah is putting his trust in this plan he's got with with Egypt. Egypt is going to bail us out. So as soon as the Chaldeans hear that the Egyptians are coming, they withdraw from this siege, this third step toward the, the, the ultimate destruction of Jerusalem, they withdraw, and Zedekiah thinks, we did it. It worked. Our plan worked. They left. It's all solved. Everything's going to be just like we thought it was going to be. And he's thinking that the political advisors that led him were more intelligent than this crazy old prophet Jeremiah. But he's got this nagging doubt. He's got this nagging thing inside of him that just whispers to him, what if 
all your advisors are wrong. And the crazy guy, Jeremiah, that crazy old guy who's, who's doing all these weird things, what if he's right? Zedekiah is plagued with this. So, in verse 6, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Jeremiah. It comes to him. They said, he came to Jeremiah and said, pray for us. And here's God's answer. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Thus you will say to the king of Judah, who sent you to me to inquire of me, Behold, Pharaoh's army which has come up to help you will return to Egypt to their own land. So he says, Pharaoh Necho, which he does, he comes out and he... It's interesting because the Pharaoh that Zedekiah is trusting himself to is the same one who killed his father. Josiah, the last good king that the southern kingdom had. Josiah, who led this huge revival. Josiah, who, in a, in a, in a moment of weakness, didn't heed God's word and went to a battle that God told him not to go to. And he went to that battle and he died. That's that Pharaoh. Now his son, Zedekiah, has worked out a deal with this Pharaoh, thinking that that Pharaoh's going to deliver him. But he's not going to. And that's what God says to him. Hey, Pharaoh is going back home. Ultimately, what happens in history is Pharaoh does this faint. He begins to bring his army down against Babylon. Now, Babylon was the greatest power the earth has ever known. Better, greater than Rome, Assyria, kingdoms that, that lasted, you know, thousands of years. But the Babylonians conquered it all. Everything. And ruled it with an iron fist. And when Nebuchadnezzar hears that he's going, he withdraws from Jerusalem because they're small potatoes. He'll be back for them. And he turns his attention to Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh sees the might of the army of Babylon... Nebuchadnezzar says, if you don't go back, I'll destroy you. I'll wipe the desert up with you. And Pharaoh thinks maybe he's kind of tough. So Nebuchadnezzar wipes the desert with him. And him and his army go back to Egypt. There's no salvation in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ. None. There's no other name by which men can be saved than by the name of Jesus Christ. And the relationship with God that they don't want. So the first thing he tells them, you're not going to be saved. They don't listen. They don't have a personal relationship with God. They won't be saved. It says in verse 8, and the Chaldeans will come back and fight against this city and take it and burn it with fire. The city's going to be conquered. Thus says the Lord, do not deceive yourselves, saying, The Chaldeans will surely depart from us, for they will not depart. Now they just saw the the Chaldeans leave, right? They, They were surrounding them, things were bad, you know, running out of food, now the Chaldeans are gone. And they're thinking, we did it. But God's saying, don't say, don't deceive yourselves into thinking that they're leaving. They're not leaving. They will come back. They will take your city. They will burn it with fire. But you don't have to die there. You don't have to go through this. All you have to do is lay down your arms and make peace. 
Allow yourselves to accept the judgment that God has brought into your life. Accept that judgment and hear the word of God. I know the thoughts and I think toward you. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. But how can there be a future and a hope in slavery? Well, this is how. Do you know that life is not always about you? That sometimes your life is about what you can give your kids? Sometimes, sometimes the future and the hope that we have is them. When Jesus, or when the Lord lays out for him, Hey guys, listen, just live life. Have a family. Raise your kids. Because in 70 years, the people who are raised up are going to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. A new generation is going to come in. A remnant. But listen. More will stay in Babylon than leave. The ones that stay in Babylon are the ones that, for them, the life of of idolatry was what they wanted. The ones that come back to the land were those for whom a relationship with the living God was more important. So he's going to pull the real, the righteous, from among the wicked. He's going to glean out from among the people, the remnant, those who will serve him. But look what he says in verse 10. For though you had defeated the whole army of the Chaldeans who fight against you, and there remain only wounded men among them, they would rise up, every man in his tent, and burn the city with fire. God says, even if you went out and whooped them and they were, you know, just a pack of three-legged dogs, they're going to take you. You're going to lose. God's word is going to be fulfilled. He's been telling them for 38 chapters. He's been laying it out for them. And not just through Jeremiah. You know who else is a prophet only over in Babylon at this time? Daniel. And another, Ezekiel. Ezekiel, and that's not all. I think right at this time there's in the neighborhood of six of the prophets and the minor prophets that are ministering at this time. The same words. And yet the people don't hear. So we come to verse 11. So it happened when the army of the Chaldeans left the siege of Jerusalem uh, for fear of Pharaoh's army that Jeremiah went out of Jerusalem to go to the land of Benjamin to claim his property there among his people. And when he was in the gate of Benjamin, a captain of the guard was there whose name was Erijah, the son of Shelemiah, the son of Hananiah. And he seized Jeremiah the prophet and said, You are defecting to the Chaldeans. I knew you were a traitor. All this talk about how we're going to lose All this talk about how the Chaldeans are going to win. And here you are trying to sneak over to their side. And Jeremiah stays with the people in Jerusalem to the end. The book of Lamentations is all about him sitting there on the outskirts of Jerusalem watching the city be destroyed. And his broken heart for the people who wouldn't listen. He never leaves them. He stays right there in the midst of the people who won't hear. And continues to tell them. But here he's, he's declared to be a, a traitor. And so it says, Jeremiah said, false, I'm not defecting to the Chaldeans. But he did not listen to them. So Elijah seized Jeremiah 
and brought him to the princes. Therefore the princes were angry with Jeremiah, and they struck him and put him in prison in the house of Jonathan the scribe, for they had made that the prison. When you go to, to Israel, there's, there's a unique thing that they would do. The people would hew out for themselves cisterns. A cistern basically is a carving within a rock that would hold water. But over time, some of those cisterns they, they stopped using. So they didn't hold water anymore, but they had this giant pit. And if you had a giant pit in your place and you were somehow connected with the government, it was a great opportunity for you to use it as a dungeon. If you go to Caiaphas' house in Israel, you take a trip to Israel and you go there, they'll take you down under the house. Down under the house is a cistern, a little hole in the top where the prisoner would be let down through a rope. There's no worry about escape because you can't get out. They drop them down into the cistern, pitch black, dark, no lights. Close up the lid over top of them. And sometimes they just leave them there and forget about them. So they went crazy or mad. or. But you see, they didn't forget about Jesus because they had other things they wanted to do to him. But while Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin were being called together... When you go to Israel, you can walk down into that cistern and sit in the pit that they put Jesus in. Not a pit like it. The pit. The place. Where they imprisoned him. Which is very similar to what they did to Jeremiah. Jesus would say, what evil thing have I done? None. You being a man, continue to make yourself to be God. So why was he crucified? Because he said he was God. Period. What evil thing had Jeremiah done? Just tell the people the truth about what God had told him. And where does he find himself? In the bottom of a cistern. Now I want you to think, the cisterns, many of the cisterns would be fed by the gutters. So that when it rained, the water would flow down the gutters and then it would flow down into a cistern. So the bottom of the cistern would be mucky. Sometimes a quarter of the space or more in the bottom of a cistern would just be that silty mud, you know, that had just over years and years and years washed in. So when you'd be lowered into it, you'd just sink in the mud. And that's where Jeremiah finds himself. Doing what God wanted him to do. Sharing the word God gave him to share. And he ends up up to his neck in mud. In a dark place where he is going to despair. We don't get to read about it today, but don't worry, it's coming. Down there in that prison wondering, God, wasn't I doing what you wanted me to do? You ever felt like that? Am I not doing what you want me to do? Why has it got to be so hard? I don't know. That's what Jesus said. It's going to be hard. But he also said it's going to be good. Never promised us easy, did he? If you come and follow me, life will be easy. All your problems will be solved. He didn't say that. No, he said kind of the opposite. You remember a fellow came to him and says, Lord, Lord, I, 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 I just want to follow you. And he, of course, immediately told him, awesome, that's a great idea. 
No, he said, the birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man doesn't have anywhere to lay his head. You want to come follow me? I don't have a place to sleep. You can be sleeping out in the weeds. The Bible doesn't tell him if he followed him. Another man comes to him and said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. First, let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. There's a certain design in the following of Christ, in that being a disciple of him, that, that the Lord is saying over and over again, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be good. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. All things. Not easy, but they will be good. We just have to hold on to those promises. Jeremiah finds himself in a prison. But look at verse 16. Verse 16 says, So when Jeremiah entered the dungeon and the cells, and Jeremiah had remained there many days. That's Bible speak for he was there a long time. You, you do a study in the life of Joseph. And Joseph dwelt in prison. Yeah, 13 years. For something he didn't do. Because he was sold out by his brothers. Because he was falsely accused at Potiphar's house. And I'm sure there were times in the darkness of that prison he felt like God... I had these dreams and these things that planned that I thought you had for my life. And here I am in prison. Do you think he ever felt like you forgot about me? You think Jeremiah, the many days he spent down there with no light in, in mud up to his neck. You think he ever felt forgotten by God? I'm sure there were times. David the psalmist, when he was being chased by Saul, there were times he felt forgotten of God. There are things and struggles we go through, but it's in those times, don't you see, it's in those times where even though we don't see, we choose to believe. We hold on to the promise of God that says, I'm going to do good things in your life. Not easy, but they'll be good. You just cling to my promise. And wait in anticipation of God's fulfillment of his promise. Well, Jeremiah is there for many days. And Zedekiah the king sent and took him out. And the king said to him secretly in his house, Is there any word from the Lord? Do you see the anxiousness in the heart of Zedekiah who's thinking, Yeah, the Chaldeans left, but Jeremiah keeps saying they're coming back. And What if this crazy old man is right? You know, you realize that the prophets of God were loony. You look at the prophets of God and the things God told them to do. Hosea, called of God, go marry a prostitute. And then he had nothing but marriage problems for the rest of his life. Shocking, right? But he becomes a living example of God's relationship with the nation of Israel. And then God speaks through his practical experience so that he can share how God's heart is for the nation. Or you look at Ezekiel. There were times God called Ezekiel to run around in his underwear. To lay down in the dirt on one side of his body. Just lay there. 
then to, to flip over to the other side and to take his, his undergarment that he'd worn all this time. It was dirty and soiled and buried in the ground and then take it out and show it to the people and say, this is what is going to happen to you. The people looked at those guys that they were crazy. This cannot be the way God would choose to talk to us. I mean, I'm normal. I'm a I'm good person, you know. I, 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 I keep the Sabbath. I do all those things I'm supposed to. Surely God will talk to me. Really? Remember what Jesus said this morning to the Pharisees? Tax collectors and harlots get into the kingdom of heaven before you. Why? And because they, they know they need a Savior, their station is tuned to hear a hopeful message from a God who loves them. So those are the people God speaks to. And why does He speak to them in those ways? Why does He use all this craziness? Why don't He just say it plainly? Because the message needs to come from the voice of those who the world would say are fools or weak or weird. So that the focus becomes the message and not the messenger. That you understand not many strong are called, not many wise. But God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, the weak things of the world to confound the mighty You don't think it was confounding when Gideon with his 300 men whooped the armies that he faced? You don't think it was confounding when Jonathan by himself with one armor bearer went in and whooped a bunch of Philistines? You don't think they're thinking, what in the world is going on? Why does God use things like that? Why does he use frail humans who are going to fail and mess up? Because the message of God comes through clear. Yeah, because when Ezekiel would deliver the message of the dry bones, when he would give out the prophecies that he gave, and people would look at him and say, is this the guy who ran around in his underwear all that time? How is it now that he speaks the way he speaks? Because God speaks through him. Jeremiah, called by God from an infant, anointed for ministry from the womb, the scripture says, in his mother's womb, to pull down strongholds and to see all these things. And so, as Jeremiah would share, the Bible calls him the weeping prophet, because he he would literally, as he was telling the people the word of God, be bawling because they wouldn't listen to him. Declared to be a traitor, thrown in a dungeon. Then the king secretly pulls him out. Because he's got this nagging thing in the back of his mind that says, what if all those guys that looked so good and normal on the outside that had the message I liked, what if they are false and he is true? So he pulls them out. How are they going to know whether or not Jeremiah is true? Moses told him a long time ago. Moses said, you want to know how to know whether or not the prophet comes to you is from God? Everything he says, the way he says it will happen. 
just like he said. And here Jeremiah keeps saying, just lay down your arms and stop fighting. But they keep going back to war. So when he walks through the city of Jerusalem and he weeps, he weeps for the children he sees playing in the street knowing that they're going to die because of the choice their mom and dad made. When he walks through and he sees the young people full of hope thinking that someday they're going to have a life, he looks at them and knows that he's going to see their bodies broken in the road because they would not hear the word of God. That's why he weeps. He weeps for the loss of life that didn't have to happen. For a people faced with life and death who choose death but think they're choosing freedom. I've shared before, I've had a lot of dogs. Some of the dogs I had are stupid. You guys ever had a stupid dog? They say that the dog reflects its master, so it it could be the reason I've had stupid dogs is my fault. But I have had dogs that were, like, trained by other people that were obedient. Man. And I've had dogs. I had this little Jack Wiener Wawa. (laughs) It was a Jack Russell Wiener dog and a Chihuahua all rolled into one was the most disobedient dog on the face of the earth. Face of the earth. From a time it was a puppy. If I called it, it ran the other way. If it got outside, it's over. It did not come home. And I used to think, oh, the poor little dog just doesn't know what it's doing. No, no. It knows. You know how I know it knows? Because when it would finally come home after hours of chasing it and ultimately giving up and going home so mad that except for the fact that I was in Cal- if I'd have been in Idaho I might have shot it in California they frown on that kind of stuff I, I assume in Idaho they do too but no it's okay well so <laughs> so I come in the house and I'm all frustrated like a stinking dog just doesn't listen that dog thinks it's the freest dog on the planet you know what it would do when it would come up to the door when it come up to the door it would be all crawling all low, like coming real slow, just like a couple steps at a time. I, the whole limp, I had 65 yards of concrete in my driveway. It was a long driveway. And this dog would just sideways, come just sideways, get all low. And it, like, like, it was like, I'm sorry. I, I just lost control for a minute. And I'd come back home to be good. Man, I'd lock that dog and everything I could lock it in. I had a Rottweiler too. It liked to hang out with this little conniving Jack Wiener Wawa. And it would be hilarious. I could not keep that little dog in a yard. It fits through the holes in the chain link. So, you know, it's out. And then the Rottweiler would say, well, She's out. I went out. But he would find another way. He didn't make such small holes when he went out. So then I'd come out and I'd see the Rottweiler and this little white dog. And there they are. Now, nobody's afraid of the white dog. Nobody cares that the white dog's out. 
when the Rottweiler runs into their yard, they're less likely to just be excited about having, even though the Rottweiler's nice, they, it don't matter. He looks like he come straight out of the gates of hell, so they want to put him back. So I'd go out and I'd open up a door and I'd holler at him. And he would stop. And he'd look at me. And then he'd look at that stupid white dog. Which, as soon as I called, started running as fast as it could the other way. And he'd look at me. And he'd look at that dog. And he'd look at me. And he would think he was choosing freedom. And he would go follow the white dog. So, he'd live his life in a little cage that he couldn't get out, that he would stay in. And every time the door opened up, thinking he was expressing his freedom, he'd just run wild and only end up in the cage more. But I had other dogs. I'd call them and they'd come right beside me. No matter where they were, no matter where they were wandering, holler for them, and they'd just come up. We could walk. I didn't have to use a leash. They would just walk beside me. The little white dog would laugh at that dog and think, that dog's so dumb, look at it in chains from its little cage. Well, which one was really free? One dog went with me everywhere. Right in my truck, wherever I was going, the dog was with me. The knucklehead that didn't listen, live its life in the backyard, thinking it's free. But really, it's in bondage. See, the only place we really find freedom is in submission to God and obedience to Him. That's where we're free. That's where we experience the freedom God wants us to have. What a king wants to know. Jeremiah, have you heard from God lately? You know, down there in the muck, in the mire, mud up to your ears. Think of what Jeremiah looked like. Old man, covered with mud, standing before the king, been living in a hole. What do they feed him? Will they open the hole and throw food down in there? What happens when it hits the mud? Yeah, but what was it like? Did they feed him? Did they care about him at all? I mean, what, all that time. So here's the king. He brings him out. And he says, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah, if ever there was a time to water down the message of God, this would probably be it. They don't really want to be in that pit no more. So Jeremiah says, there is. You shall be delivered. If he'd have stopped there. But he said, you will be delivered into the hands of the king of Babylon. Nothing you can do. You're going to lose. Moreover, Jeremiah said to the king, What offense have I done to you and against your servants or against the people that you have thrown me into this prison? Where now are your prophets who prophesied to you, saying the king of Babylon will not come against you? Where's all those guys who said that nothing's going to happen? Because outside the city walls, they're walking back around the city again. Where's all the prophets you were listening to? Therefore, please hear now, O my Lord King, and let my petition be accepted before you, and do not make me return to the house of Jonathan the scribe, lest I die there. 
up to his neck in the mud. Jeremiah asked the king, do you ever wonder why someone calls a preacher on Sunday night at 7.20? I wonder what he's doing right now. We should find out, don't you think? <laughs> uh, knuckleheads. That's why you're supposed to mute your phone. It's twice now, huh? I forget they're in my pocket. I know you forget they're in your purse too. I, I hear your phones go off. That's okay. I forgive you, you have to forgive me. <clears throat> so he asked him, please, don't put me back down there. Don't put me back down in the hole. And Zedekiah the king commanded that he should commit Jeremiah to the court of the prison. And that they should give him daily a piece of bread. Gosh. So nice. I think Jeremiah is stoked because he's tired of being in the mud. So, so he's stoked. He's going to spend most of the rest of his time there in the court of the prison. He says, give him a piece of bread every day until there is no bread. Well, they're in a siege against Babylon again, so it's not going to be long before there's no bread. It's not going to be very long before they really don't care that Jeremiah is supposed to be in the court of the prison either. It's not going to be very long. So Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. And as I was looking at this, I was reminded of, of Jesus. Jesus, this, this attitude that he had would be such a great attitude to, to be able to grasp. Jesus didn't pray for delivery from death. He prayed for delivery through David, the psalmist, did the same thing, right? In the 23rd Psalm. Remember, yea, though I walk, what? Through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Not delivery from all the hard things that come. Delivery through. Make me strong enough to shoulder the burdens of the life I'm living. Make me wise enough to hear your voice and share the things you would have me share. Make me strong in the power of the Lord and not in my own might. For that's where deliverance through happens. But I know for myself, sometimes I'm crying so much for deliverance from that I forget that that's not what Jesus did. He got deliverance through, right? On the cross, did he say, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He entrusted himself into the hands of him who judges righteously and rose again. The same way for us. Can we say those words, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. This journey, this issue, this trouble I face, I give it to you. I trust you. Deliver me through it. That's what God is in the business of doing. Amen? And we're going to close out tonight like we do on Sunday nights with a time of prayer. So I just invite you to pray. I should have turned it off harder. I invite you to just join me in a time of prayer.